0: Hey, uh, regardless of whether you are here in person or you are watching the live stream, what a privilege it is to be able to worship God with you this morning and to walk through God's word together. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Jordan Erickson. I serve as the student ministries director for Lakewood. Um, And in case you hadn't heard, uh, Rick and Lucy get to go continue their ministry in Uganda for the next two weeks. Um, For several years, they have been partnering with Uh, pastors and pastors' families in Uganda to help launch what we, as far as we know, is the very first national interim pastoral ministry in all of Africa. So it's an incredible opportunity for them. Please continue to keep them in your prayers. Uh, It's, yeah, what they're doing is sweet. And that means that the next two Sundays, as we continue to make our way towards Easter, are going to look a little different. Um, And as you notice today, uh, we have Student Sunday. Uh, we have this incredible privilege of being able to watch God work in our ministry and, more importantly, in the lives of our students. And as the one who has the great honor to oversee this ministry, I'd be remiss not to mention also that it certainly is not just me that uh, looks out for these students, but we have an incredible team, which includes my assistant, Kelly Strong, and our amazing family of lifeguards, so we are very grateful for all of them. We know students are not just the future of our church, but they are the church right now. And so as a part of uh, using their gifts and displaying their heart for the Lord, we are grateful that they get to help contribute to the health of this body and the worship of of the Lord, just as everyone else. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, you can make your way to Luke 19. Today we're going to be in the classic story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up in church, you likely remember this story from Sunday school, which you probably haven't heard it since then. Um, I had to think about the last time that I heard this story taught to me, and I fell somewhere over 20 years ago. And to put that in perspective, George Bush hadn't even been elected president yet, and my greatest career aspiration was being the youngest president ever elected. God has a change of plans, and that's okay, because I have the greatest job in the world. And while we probably haven't heard this message in a long time, I know that a lot of you are familiar with it because of the song. You know it well, right? Zacchaeus was a... Hey, there we go. You guys did way better than first service, but uh, I told the pastors, I said, I'm going to get the church to sing today, so... But in reality, church, these stories that we teach our children have just as much value today in our adulthood as they did when we were children. Because the difference is, though, is that we get to look at these same stories through a faith lens that has been refined by life experience, by a maturation of our belief in God, and most importantly, by his grace. God has a lot to say regardless of what age you are because his word is timeless for teaching. And so today, as we jump into Luke 19, verse 1, let's consider that and let's read together. Verse 1, this is what the word of God says. Now Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Church, I love this story because it is so simple, and yet we get to see the heart and character of God on full display and how it changes the life of a sinner like Zacchaeus. And before we ever get into the text, our story starts because what we see is that all of the Gospels agree that this is the first time Jesus has ever entered Jericho. And yet, even though Jesus has never made an appearance in the city, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. And we know throughout Scripture that Jesus had a reputation that preceded himself, and that reputation came from the testimony and witness of men and women whose lives were changed by Christ. And so, uh, even though Zacchaeus had not encountered um, Jesus personally, it stands to wonder who did Jesus meet or Zacchaeus meet along the way that made him go, I wonder who this man is, and made him yearn for more. Church, look at this story and ask yourself does my life make others curious about Jesus? Do they look at my life, my interactions with others, the way that I treat my family and friends and wonder what is the different that they have that I'm missing out on? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors. We have been appointed with the opportunity to represent our heavenly King Jesus to other people in the way that we live and speak. Do they notice the way that I love my spouse or my children? Do they notice the way that I speak kindly to others? Do they notice my joy in a world that desperately longs for something different? And does my life show them what they desperately need in Jesus Christ? And church, this is just before we get into the story, right? In verse 3, Zacchaeus, who we said, has never personally met Jesus. He's only encountered people who've met him, and yet Zacchaeus is determined to go and see who Jesus is. He doesn't go home, he doesn't stay at work counting the money he made from taxes. He has the yearning to go and see what was Jesus all about. And just like Zacchaeus, church, I encourage you, have the faith to go and see Jesus for yourself. Right? We know God places a high value on faith, and there are real benefits to not only having faith, but acting upon it. Hebrews 11, the true biblical faith gives us assurance in what we hope for and conviction to believe the things that we cannot see. And so even though we might not be able to see God face to face, we do have assurance that he is real and he wants you to see him too. Now most of you have probably heard of Jeremiah 29 11. It's my friend out of context favorite verse. Um, it assures God's people of a more prosperous and hopeful future But even greater is the promise and how we achieve that hopeful future if we read verses 11 through 13 all together. But here's what verses 12 and 13 say. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sure, church, the the future and the plans and all of that stuff is great, but the face, the character, the person of God, they are so much better. And we have the faith to believe that because God loves us, he keeps his promises to us. And we can now go see the promise-keeping God for ourselves. Your faith to go and see will be rewarded with something far greater than possessions or wealth. It will be rewarded with the opportunity to see God face-to-face for an eternity. Now, I want to hit a pause on this story for a second. I know we're only three verses in. We haven't even gotten to the good part yet. But there's a lot of Zacchaeus' life that we can examine to truly see just how amazing God is in this story. Right, we know from the song that Zacchaeus was short in stature. He probably wasn't a wee little man, maybe an inch, an inch and a half shorter than the average Jewish male. But if you ever played basketball or you had to go to the store at 11 o'clock at night and get chips for a youth event and you had to reach the top shelf, right, you know that that inch or inch and a half makes a difference. And so Zacchaeus, just a little shorter than average, would have been looked down upon both figuratively and literally, and that would have set him up to be an outcast among his peers. Zacchaeus is lonely. And unfortunately for Zacchaeus, we also know from verse 2 that he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. He oversaw taxes from regionally in and around Jericho. And for those of you that don't know, Jericho, we often think about it as the city Joshua marched around and the walls came tumbling down. I won't make you sing that song. Uh, But it sat in the Jordan River Valley between these two hills, and because of that, it allowed the soil to grow these incredible crops and flowers and palm trees, which the city is known for. So when Rome annexed Israel, Jericho, when it was rebuilt by Herod, became an economic hotspot, a very wealthy city for very wealthy inhabitants. And so, Zacchaeus, as the chief tax collector, was collecting money off of the richest in Israel. He didn't just have riches. He had Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk levels of wealth working for the Roman Empire. But see, church, Zacchaeus' wealth comes at a cost. We see all throughout scripture that the Jews hated tax collectors. They were viewed as traitors to their nation. They were viewed as lying scoundrels because often the way that they earned their money was by adding a little extra on top of the taxes they were supposed to collect. They were not allowed in Jewish gatherings or societies, right? Family, social, religious gatherings, none of those were acceptable for tax collectors to attend. Uh, The Jewish Talmud, the religious and cultural laws of the Israelites, um, both then and today, have this to say about tax collectors. As one robber disgraces his whole family, so one tax collector in a family. Promises are not to be kept with murderers, thieves, and tax collectors. The synagogue alms boxes, the offering plates, must not receive their alms, and it is not lawful to use their riches, for they have been gotten by rapine, nor are tax collectors allowed to judge or give testimony in court. Could you imagine for a second having a job that compares yourself to a murderer or a thief? Can you imagine for Zacchaeus what his life is like? He has few, if any, meaningful relationships. He's prohibited from being a part of a faith community. The reason we are gathered here today, and he probably has a nice house, that's cool, but he's got to go live on the edge of the city with the sinners and the beggars because Jericho is a wealthy city and they have an image to keep up in. Those people not allowed. The loneliness, the longing to be known, the the sense of belonging that he so desperately craves, Zacchaeus wants something different. And that's precisely why what he does next is so amazing. So we see Zacchaeus, right, his faith is driving him to go see Jesus for himself, but because he's a little shorter, can't see above the crowds, he spots this perfectly placed sycamore tree. It's going to give him just enough height that's necessary to see the Messiah walking through the road. Now, here's the problem, though, church. Zacchaeus is rich, and he has an office of stature, according to the Romans. Uh, Climbing trees is not something that a rich official of the Roman Empire does. Uh, As I was writing this sermon, I recently looked up weird jobs that rich people hire out to other people. Uh, because they believe that it's either not worth their time or it's undignified. Here are some of my favorites, right? Professional umbrella or drink holder, uh, professional basketball fetcher. I would get paid 150000 to go fetch basketballs, right? My personal favorite, though, uh, is a professional panda nanny. If I'm rich enough to have a panda and hire somebody out, sweet. But these activities that are viewed as unworth their time, right? If fetching a basketball on your private court is considered beneath you, how much more beneath you is it to go climb a tree to see some random carpenter from a backwoods town like Nazareth? See, church, faith transcends those things. Zacchaeus was unafraid of others' perceptions. He was unafraid of the consequences of his job. He was unafraid of falling out of the tree and breaking his collarbone, right? Because his faith to go and see Jesus Christ was greater than the fear of what was going on around him. And church, just like Zacchaeus, don't be afraid to experience God's grace for yourself. How many times do we miss out on the opportunity to experience the grace, mercy, and restoration of God because we're afraid? Jesus, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. Jesus, I can't talk about that. That's too shameful in my life. God, I know you're big. You've got bigger things to worry about than my small problems. Maybe you're in Zacchaeus' shoes, and what races through your mind is what will other people think of me? What kind of scrutiny and criticism will I face because I'm a Christian? What are the implications on my job and my life and my relationships? And church, it's, it's okay, right? We, we all face those questions and worries, and I am chief center of, of those among you. Uh, but if we allow our faith to stand, or our fear to stand in the way of our faith, We are putting ourselves in a position to miss out on the grace that has the power to change our lives now and forever. Grace that is offered freely to anyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ. In Mark 2, a large crowd is surrounding Jesus as he's preaching in a household, and these four people, desperate to get their paralyzed friends close to him, dig a hole through a roof and lower him in. They're unafraid of how the crowd will perceive them. They're unafraid of criticism or ridicule because they believe and know that Jesus is worth it. And in their faith, Jesus responds, Son, your sins are forgiven. You you Get up, take your mat, and walk. And just verses before our current text in Luke 18, blind Bartimaeus, a beggar who can't physically see Jesus, he cries out and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And this time the critics and the opposition did step in. They told blind Bart to shut his mouth, but he kept on yelling because he knew who Jesus was. And Jesus looks at this blind beggar and says, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. In Luke 8, a woman with a condition that causes her to bleed profusely for 12 years sees Jesus in town, and she knows that if she can just reach out and touch his cloak, it will do something for her. And when he realizes what she's done, Jesus looks at this woman. She is terrified, and rather than responding with anger or frustration, once again with all the compassion of God, Jesus says, Daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And of course, in our current story, verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Church, the world tried to criticize and tried to silence these people because they weren't doing what they were supposed to. But Jesus takes a different approach. Jesus showers them with mercy and grace. Jesus doesn't see them as an obstacle. He makes time for those people his people, and he makes time for you too. In fact, if we're being honest, let's be real. You have questions, and you might have doubts, but Jesus knows that. Jesus knows what you've done. He sees your shame. He sees your regrets and your doubt, and he looks at you and says, I'm bigger than those, because God sees and knows you. He knows each of you intimately. He wrote the great story of your life, He celebrates with you in your greatest joys, and he comforts you in your greatest sorrows. And church, he wants to offer you something far greater than just a miracle of healing that we read about in his word. John 10, 14 through 15, says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. God wants to offer you the gift of freedom from your sins. He wants to offer you eternal life with him through his son, Jesus, so that you can see and know him just as he sees and knows you personally. Don't be afraid, church, of experiencing God's grace for yourself because God has seen you at your best and he's seen you at your worst and he's died for all of it. Zacchaeus, in verse 6, we see him go down, he gets off of the tree, and he does the only thing that is necessary to receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life with God. He comes down joyfully and he receives Jesus. Church, that's it. Right? Go and see Jesus for yourself and then joyfully receive him. Receive the good news of Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection from the grave for your sins. By grace through faith, we have been saved, and all it takes is a simple invitation because Jesus wants to be invited into your life. A good father right, does not force a gift on his children. He wants them to receive it joyfully and be excited about it. But let's be real here. How much more would our perception of Jesus change if we treated him like vegetables, right? You will believe in Jesus, and you will like it, or you will go to bed hungry, <laughs> Right, But no, God says, here is my gift, child. Take it, receive it. It's for you, and it's free. Right? Romans 10, 9 and 10, you hear it a lot. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Zacchaeus saw people who were changed by Jesus, and then he had the faith to go and see him for himself, and then he received him joyfully. And if you have not done that today and you are sitting in this room, I encourage you today to make the best decision of your life to receive that free gift of salvation that comes from knowing the gospel and believing it's true. Because following a God who sees you, who knows you, who loves you enough to give up his son for you, church, nothing in the world, compares to that. And so we see this incredible exchange happen between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully into his life, and then something interesting happens, something that we still deal with today, right? Zacchaeus is bringing Jesus into his home for a meal and for lodging, and in verse seven, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The crowds were frustrated because any other person would have sufficed, but this miracle man of God, Jesus, he chooses to go spend his time with the chief tax collector, that sinner, Zacchaeus. And the people are upset because according to their customs, a man of God like Christ had no business associating with sinners. Right? That's why the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with the common man because they could never measure up to the law of Moses. They could never measure up to the Pharisaical traditions of their day. Basically, if they didn't follow the rules, they weren't worthy to be in the presence of these religious men of God, which is kind of ironic because we know who can measure up to the law of Moses. And so before Zacchaeus would be worthy to welcome Jesus into his home, he would have to get his life straightened out. He would have to stop sinning, stop being a tax collector, learn how to follow the letter and the law of Moses to a T. You know, casual stuff. Right? which is a little ironic because how are you supposed to know the law if you can't go to church? Yeah, right? And yet even though the Pharisees demand that Zacchaeus work to make amends for his mistakes, even though he worked to gain favor with God, Jesus still wants to go to Zacchaeus' house. No questions asked. And that is church because Jesus doesn't need your works, but he does want your life. Here's what I mean by that. Right? Jesus is God. And God, he's all-powerful, right? He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need our good works for anything that he wants to do, but in his graciousness to us, he allows us to good art, use our good works for great things, like making him known to others, encouraging and serving them. He gives us the opportunity to use our good works to worship him. God doesn't need our good works, but he does want to be involved in your life that makes those good works. Have you ever felt like you, let me ask you this, right, that you needed to be good enough for God? Have you ever felt like before you could go ask for forgiveness or, or bring another prayer request to his feet that you somehow had to get right before him, right? We, we still struggle with this as a society today, believing that we can access heaven. The only way we can access heaven is through our own good works or by getting in favor with God. But church, I'm going to be honest here. If you spend your entire life trying to be good enough for God, you will exhaust yourself for the rest of your existence. And the good news is, is that it doesn't depend on us, right? Jesus is the one by his death and resurrection who makes us right before God. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved by his life? And what's so great about this church is that God looked at us, enemies of him. We can't give him anything. In fact, we're pushing back against him. And he says, I still love you. Here is my son who will save your life. And all you need to do is say, yes, I want that. Jesus, church, is the one who makes you good enough. Jesus is the one who reconciles you back to God. Take the pressure off of yourself and feel the freedom that comes from knowing your salvation is not dependent on you. It's all because of Jesus that you can live with God now and live with him forever. And he doesn't need your resume. He doesn't need your Sunday best. He doesn't need your trophies or your achievements or your merit badges. All he wants is an invitation into your life to restore you to admit that you're a sinner in desperate need of his grace and with faith to believe that he rescued you from your sins. And after you've given Jesus that invitation, look at what Zacchaeus does in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus doesn't have to perform all those good works before Jesus. His good works, church, are the result of the life transformation that Jesus does in his heart and life, right? His good works are not an obligation. They're not a, I need to do these to make sure Jesus is happy with me. They come from a sense of want, a sense of freedom to say, guys, Jesus has changed my life, and now I want to show you my faith by my works, and for us, church, we can see from Zacchaeus that knowing God personally results in life transformation. Zacchaeus has a genuine encounter with Jesus, and it changes his life. He faithfully goes to see who Jesus is. He, do, he does what's necessary to get in the way of God's grace and, and meet him personally. And Zacchaeus, when he's up in the tree, Jesus sees him, and he shows his true character to this sinful tax collector. He shows him compassion. He shows him love. He shows him patience. And Zacchaeus realizes that the different that he was desperately wanting, that he was missing out on, was Christ himself. And he went after it. And when you see, church, the character of God, whether it is personally for the first time or it's just a soul-refreshing reminder because, let's be real here, we need a daily reminder of the grace that we receive from the Lord. But whether it's your first or it's a reminder, you get to see the character of the very image that you were made in. You get to see love that would die for you. You get to see marvelous, awesome, and wonderful because God is not some distant cosmic entity who is disinterested in his creation. He is personally involved. He is a powerful being who loves you so much that he wants to be involved like a good, good father. Church, stop shackling yourself to the belief that in order to gain approval from God, you have to do tasks for him and start freeing yourself to see that the character of God is just as amazing as you read about in his word as you experience it personally for yourself and how that character and that grace can change your life. So after we read this, we get to rejoice with Zacchaeus because him and his family have been saved by Christ and this passage concludes with Jesus making these marks in uh, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is Jesus' mission, church. And even though he sits at the right hand of God now, it still is a part of his mission. It just happens to look a little different, a good kind of different. Right? God came to seek and save the lost, and you're a part of that. Just as Zacchaeus heard the testimony and saw the power of Christ through his disciples, so we as ambassadors of God's kingdom have that very same opportunity to show people how great God is and how sweet life with him is now and forever. And I encourage you as you leave this building, church, who is the Zacchaeus in your life? Who are the Zacchaeuses that you might not be noticing because they're chilling in a tree or you can't see them among the crowds? the people who are searching for something different, who are in need of uh, encouragement or hope, who feel that they need to achieve approval or recognition through good works. Build a relationship with them. Be friends with them. Show them encouragement. What a glorious opportunity God is giving you to be a part of that person's life, church. And then through prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit that you might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them and to see their lives restored and transformed by Christ. Church, we have a lot to learn from the story of Zacchaeus. How our lives make others curious about him. How our faith drives us to go and see the power of Christ for ourselves, and it pushes through the fears of the world around us. And that more than any good deed that you can perform or you can lay at God's feet, Jesus simply wants to be invited into your life. To be involved in it, to know him personally. And by knowing him personally, that you would have a transformed life to seek out people who are just like you. Because the good news, church, is that every single one of us in this room who professes Christ, we have somebody in our lives who loved us enough to make us curious about Jesus. And we had somebody in our lives who loved us enough to share the gospel with us. And now you have that very same freedom both now and for the rest of your lives. Not because we're obligated, but because we love God and we see how awesome and incredible he is. And that is my prayer for you today, is that you would see that freedom, you would chase after it, and that your life would be restored so that you can say, God is marvelous and I want to show you him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, what a privilege and honor it is to gather with the saints in this room to know that, Lord, more than any good work we could offer you, that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us, even when we were your enemies. God, that our faith to go and see you can transcend any of our fears and doubts, and Lord, that you would still love us through those questions and those doubts, not holding them against us, but by the blood of your son, freeing us from the transgressions that we have committed against you and others. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today who has not received that gift of the gospel, that they would, just like Romans 10 says, that they would believe the truth that your son, Jesus Christ, came to earth. He lived a perfect life to die on a cross and he rose from the dead three days later, all so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And Lord, that they would believe that truth and that they would proclaim it with their mouth, and that they would say, yes, God, I want that gift. And God, that all of us who claim to profess Christ, whether it is five seconds ago or or our entire lives, that we would live in such a way from the freedom that you give us to make others curious about Jesus Christ, that we would seek you with our whole hearts, and that when we would find you, we would realize how awesome you are. Lord, as we close our service today, would you please bless this group of people to go live those lives that make others curious? Would you please empower us and embolden us to speak the life-changing truth of your gospel? You are worthy of our worship, and we thank you for saving us and loving us first. It is in your strong and powerful name we pray. Amen.